Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, women in tech and why we still have progress to make. It pains me when they don't even identify as technologists, right? They're identifying um, with softer skills. They'll, they'll show me these amazing, not just presentations, but technology-based answers to problems and I'll, I'll, I will actually have to very specifically identify for them. You know that you just ran analytics. Women in technology pursuing an education in mathematics and science, it's a big deal. Our next guest is going to talk with us about what this means for the workforce. Jennifer Ives is Senior Vice President of Software and Security at Three Pillar Global. She's worked around the world for the last 20 years helping all types of companies, large and small, find innovation and growth opportunities. She's a coder, and her expertise is in geospatial and cybersecurity technologies, and she knows what she speaks about, what it takes to be successful as a woman in technology. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me today. I think this will be a question that a lot of listeners will want to know. Why did you decide to originally pursue a STEM education, and, and why did you choose technology as a career? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So my father was a scientist. He had three daughters, and whether he had had daughters or sons, we were all going to do something in, in STEM. That was our choice in college. And one of my sisters went into medicine, the other went into statistical analysis. And I happened upon geospatial engineering, remote sensing, and fell in love with it from day one. But I have to tell you, it was it was his modeling and encouraging throughout our lives, the science fair projects, the importance of science and math. And it breaks my heart when I hear women today talk about the fact that not only is there an overt, but kind of the, the hushed... Um, women can't do it, or that's not a woman's job. I never heard that growing up. That was never a message that was in my household. It, was, it wasn't even a message, right? Because there was no conversation about whether you can or can't do it. It was, here is, here is what STEM is, and here are my expectations, right? My mom and dad had expectations for us. And yet, when you went out into the world as as a software and engineer, what did you? What were the biggest hurdles you felt and you've identified and seen for being a woman in technology? First off, even in college, I was one of just a very few women in those STEM classes. Right when I was taking my hardcore science and technology classes, I was one of very few women. Um, what I didn't realize at the time is that about 34% of women when I was in college were receiving and going through and getting degrees in STEM. Now it's 17%. So I can only imagine what it's like for the young woman sitting in that class and potentially feeling um, uncomfortable in a classroom full of maybe people she's not identifying with or feeling as if they've been coding for much longer because there is um, a stereotype and a belief uh, amongst women, and I'm generalizing, but that... Um, and actually men will often say this, uh, and I've spoken with Carla Broadley of Northeastern University and other deans of computer science across the country who talk about the feelings of when young women are entering those classes, the discomfort they feel, and that they're already behind in their ability to code or their ability to uh, take on new technologies. So in terms of a hurdle, I, I never saw it overtly as a hurdle. It was just um, I knew that I was always working with men. And that was great. I, you know, I've always gotten along well and had a great career. But I have to tell you, the hurdles have been uh, potentially not seeing the next step. And I have been very lucky in my career that I have had many leaders, including many men in my career who have shown me and identify the next step. So for example, with my first job, it was hardcore technology. I was working as a technology and, and engineer and on the, you know, on the tech side of the business. And it was my CEO at the time who identified, not only do I love technology, but I love to 
work and talk about and engage around technology. And he was the one who, um, from the beginning, probably about three years in, identified that, hey, you could, you'd could you be really good at helping identify with our clients and those who have questions about technology and having that conversation with them because you love technology and you're really energized by technology and you clearly love people and talking with people. And so I, I really, you know, it was the CEO at the time, and I've had other people in my life um, who have who have identified kind of the next step and encouraged me along uh, in in the world of technology. It strikes me that that one of the things that I think we fail generally, and I don't think it's just women. I think it's generally people in the workforce. Is I don't think that students understand that these days technology is really probably one of the best avenues for self-expression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not only for self-expression, I don't think students today realize because millennials and uh, let's talk about the Gen Zs, those who are at the very oldest, 21 at the moment. So these are kids in, in middle school, high school, and just graduated from college. They take technology for granted. And so it it pains me when I talk with especially young women in middle school and high school, which I do often. It pains me when they don't even identify as technologists. Right, they're identifying um, with softer skills, and I will often ask them, "Well, how did you come to that conclusion, or how are you expressing um, a, a particular um, challenge in school, or you're delivering a project?" And they'll 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 show me these amazing not just presentations, but technology based um, answers to problems, and I'll, I'll I will actually have to very specifically identify for them. You know that that is technology. You know that you just ran analytics using software and sometimes even coding that software and you're only 13 or you're only 16 do you understand what that is so it's amazing almost the mind shift that we have to share with with young women in particular that when they are touching technology and when they're involved in technology that is incredibly powerful and they are not on the sidelines you've teased something really interesting out in that last answer which is there are clearly unspoken messages messaging that's being communicated to young women and older women in the tech workforce. You've seen these challenges yourself. What are some of the systemic issues that we face to uh, increase STEM participation with women and minorities and and other groups? What do you see? I see that there isn't an explicit and an implicit encouragement of technology as it's not a nice to have today especially uh, kids and college students, they need to be taking coding classes. It, it, it's a language that they have to be exposed to. And I, om- I, I firmly believe, actually, not almost believe, I firmly believe that they need to be required to take a computer science 101 and 102 class. You didn't talk about the bro culture, the sexism mm. that inherent in technology. <laughs> Is that because you were being nice or because um, it's more uh, we, we need to expose people first and that the bro culture will sort of dissipate as more women and minorities get into the workforce? Uh, No, the bro culture is something that, unfortunately, I I, I expect all the time. And that's not to say that that has been every meeting that I've walked into in my lifetime. I've worked with amazing groups of of men and women. uh, But the bro culture is something that generally, uh, if a woman is exposed to that and experiences it early in her career, she, she will self-direct out of that. And that is a challenge, right? Because if you have a 22 or 24 or 27-year-old uh, technologist who, who identifies that this is happening and says, you know, that doesn't make me feel comfortable, and I'm early enough in my career that I don't know that I really have a voice in it, that they will step aside. I was lucky that in some of those situations, I had people who 
um, I could talk with. I feel blessed in those situations because um, they did happen. And early in my career, I had some people who advocated for me. And then when I became more confident in who I was and in, in those conversations, I was able to advocate for myself. And I will tell you that I, I very strongly self-select the companies that I work with. Three Pillar Global is run by men and women, and that is no accident that that, that was one of the reasons I was attracted to Three Pillar. On top of all the incredible work and all the, 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 the um, impressive brains that work at Three Pillar Global, uh, from our founder, David DeWolf, on down, um, the, the amount of women who are present in the company uh, is, is really impressive. I suspect that in the coming weeks we'll have you back because this issue of women and technology is a significant one for all of us to have the right workforce here in the D.C. region. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on the show. Tweet us at at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>